relationship to our God. And so thank you for being here. Uh, let's worship our God together. Take the Trinity hymn book. I mean, I'm sorry, the hymns of grace. Hymns of grace, 346. 346 in the hymns of grace. The Christian home.
to God concerning our homes. Well, let's ask God to meet with us in our time together this afternoon. Brother Wade, would you lead us in that prayer? I would also ask you to pray for our sister Janet, who's experiencing some difficulties and challenges, and pray that God would give wisdom to those that are caring for her and for Ken as well. All right, thank you. Proverbs chapter 4 this week. Again, uh, the wise father is beseeching his son. And we have three uh, separate sections in this chapter that we can divide it into. In the first section begins in verse 1 where he says, Hear, you children. Your version, if you have the ESV, says sons, plural the instruction of a father. And then in verse 10, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings. And then in verse 20 again, My son, attend to my words. And so it's as if the father, as fathers do, have to continually grab your son by his cheeks and say, Son, (laughs) hear. My words. And so God is uh, treating us as sons. He is uh, beseeching us. He's not coming down uh, with a heavy hand, but He's given Him the truth about um, life and about how to get wisdom. Wisdom, as we see in this first section, is a principal thing. Notice in verse 5 and in verse 7. The word wisdom is coupled with the word understanding. And again, if you have the ESV, you have insight. But the NAS, the NIV, the NET, New English Translation, and the CSB all have um, understanding as the couplet with wisdom. There are two words uh, that are translated understanding. And um, there's one that is a masculine noun and there's one that's a feminine noun. And in this case, where we have it here in verse uh, 5 and 7, it is the feminine uh, version. And that perhaps is why we see wisdom being uh, referred to in the female pronoun her. Seek her. She is uh, your life. 
exalt her. She will promote you to honor. And he lays before his son, beginning uh, in verse 10, two paths. And that you have this uh, throughout the book of Proverbs. Um, two paths. The path of the wicked, which is darkness, verse 19. And then you have the path of the just. Interesting enough, the justified ones, their path is like morning. The sun comes up and it just keeps getting brighter. And that's the way the path of the justified ones is. Their way keeps getting brighter as they go along and and become more and more sanctified. We might ask the question, well, what exactly is wisdom? He keeps talking about wisdom there in verses Five and seven and others. And wisdom is a little bit like love. It's better defined by what it does and doesn't do than to make up a definition for it. And so um, we had last week the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. He founded the skies, the heavens. He created the situation where the uh, droplets uh, evaporate and distill back down again. That is uh, wisdom, and it is a metaphor uh, for um, spiritual wisdom, wisdom in the things pertaining uh, to life. The way to recognize wisdom is the same as how you recognize the taste of food. If someone blindfolded you and put a drop of honey on your tongue, you would immediately recognize it, the sweetness. And so uh, Proverbs 24, 13 and 14, I'm not going to turn there. You could jot that down. uses that uh, illustration of honey and wisdom to our souls. It's a, it's a sweet thing, and we recognize it uh, when it comes. Uh, one little uh, note that I think is, I hope it's useful to you just to know that um, translation of the Bible is not a simple thing. Um, I started uh, referencing the NET because uh, Jason uses that uh, version, the New English translation. And I, the thing I like about the NET is that it's just full of notes about uh, translation translational issues and why words are there. But he, uh, this version notes uh, regarding verse 7 that this verse is not in the Septuagint. Some textual critics delete the verse as an impossible gloss that interrupts verses 6 and 8. So as we read that, you know, <laughs> I'm in no position to know <laughs> whether that's uh, valid or, or not valid or You know, obviously some manuscripts don't have it, or you wouldn't have uh, come up with that. So it's a good opportunity, as we read it, think of the verses without verse 7 and how 6 and 8 flow together. Um, Just a note to remind us that, hey, these guys that do this (laughs) for a living have a really hard job uh, of knowing uh, translating the Bible. So I will read it uh, from the ESV. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, 
that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Just a quick reminder, this is heart preparation. Notice uh, we, we have the word heart here several times, verse 4, 21, and 23. Let your heart hold fast my words, verse 4. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, Get insight. Prize her highly. And she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right. Or to the left, turn your foot away from evil. Well, now take your Trinity hymn books and turn to 704. 704, Jesus, keep me near the cross. 704. Stand as we sing, please.
seated. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Let me just double check. Quentin, I don't ha- is this all right? Just this? Okay. I, if this is fine, I'll just do it with this. Deuteronomy chapter 13, we considered together this morning as Moses expresses his concern that with the children of Israel, when they arrive in the promised land, that they will not live the life of a hypocrite, that they would not live a life that is false from what they profess, that they would take heed to themselves so that nothing would move them away from their relationship to God. And certainly as Moses is concerned about that reality, he even gives specifics as to what might be used in our lives that would draw us away from God. And we noticed here in Deuteronomy 13, there were three things in particular that he mentions Number one, false religion. When when prophets come among you and speak on God's behalf and even perform signs and wonders, and yet they seek to lead you away from the true and living God to follow and worship and serve other gods, that man is to be recognized as one who in biblical times should even be put to death. And then the second one, not only do we have the idea of the enticement of religion, but then secondly we notice the the enticement of relationships. And, and, And Moses talks about close relationships that we can have with other people. He mentions your sons and your daughters. He mentions your brother, the the, the son of your mother. He mentioned the wife that you cherish. He, he mentions the friend that is knitted to your soul. These are close relationships. But if a man is determined to walk with God, sometimes division comes in those relationships if they are instruments that seek to entice you to move away from God. And then thirdly, he talked about the culture. And we see that this idea of moving away from God can spread like a cancer and soon whole cities can be an enticement to move you away from God. And we mentioned this morning that the direction that Moses gives them is twofold. Number one, he tells them in a negative way, you're to radically deal with these issues. And we notice together the wording that is given to us. Again, look at verse Deuteronomy 13, verse 5, But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. We have the same type of language down in in verse 10, he says, So you shall stone him to death because he has sought to seduce you from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We find the same thing with the city, that the city is to be demolished, it's to be destroyed, and even the goods within that city should be destroyed. 
It's interesting how he even speaks about not letting any of it, verse 17, nothing from which is it put under the band shall cling to your hands. Don't think about even taking some little part of the city, but see it in destruction. So there is to be this, this radical separation between us and anything that would move us away from our relationship to God. That's negative. But positively, what can we do? What can we do to maintain a good, intimate, growing, prospering, enjoyable relationship to God? And Moses gives direction with regard to that as well. And I want us to consider just for a few, I don't know what a few moments are. That's sort of vague, isn't it? But that's pretty close. A few moments. Uh, We'll look at what direction Moses gives to them, especially looking at verse 4. Verse 4, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. You shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. And what I have is, I think there are five or six, I think five, five points that he makes. I've reduced it to five. I could have had six. Uh, points that he makes with regard to how do we maintain a good relationship with God? How do we keep from being enticed either by false prophets, by relationships, by the culture in which we live to move away from God? And, And the text pretty much opens itself up with these things. So first of all, he says, We're to follow the Lord our God. We're to follow the Lord our God. We're to stay close to Him. If if you don't know where I live, and I tell you, because you're going to come to my house, that you go down here, you get on broad, you turn right on broad, then you go to 52, go down a little ways, there's a gas station there. I forget the name. Is it Ben Oak? You turn there and follow that around. Get a, and you're thinking, wait a minute. Can I just follow you? And I say, well, of course, nowadays we say, can I just have your address? <laughs> but, but if you're going to follow me, what does that mean? I'm going to stay close to you. I'm going to be on your bumper. I don't want any cars to get in between you and me. In fact, we come up here to the four-way stop. I stop, and then I go, and there's a car to the right that's going to go straight, and you're thinking, oh, please turn. I, I don't want to get separated from Pastor. And, and they pull in front of me, and then you get nervous. Am I, is he still up there? Where's he at? I, I want to be close to you. That, that's what we think of when we think of the idea of following. It, it carries the idea of, of walking with God. In Micah 6 and verse 8, He has showed the old man what is good. And what does Jehovah require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with thy God. To walk with God, to follow God means this, I keep Him in my sight. There's nothing between me 
and the one I'm following. I do not want to lose sight of you. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, we read these words, The one who says he abides in him, the one who says he abides in Christ, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. When by God's grace you are resolved to follow the Lord, it means you will set the Lord always in your sight. You will set Almighty God always in your sight. So whether I'm in the workplace, whether I'm in the home, whether it's a social gathering, whether I'm all by myself and no one else is with me, I recognize that that God is in my sight. And and I want to follow Him and do what He wants me to do. That classic example is that of Joseph. When Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, this this young man with all the the feelings of any young man, and this beautiful woman comes and, and seeks to seduce him, what kept him from Potiphar's wife? Why did he not give in? The answer is, because he says it, listen, He's given me everything in His palace. It's all mine except for one thing. And that is you. Woman, that's you. He hasn't given me you. And how can I sin and do this evil in the sight of my God? It's not how can I do this against Potiphar who's given me so much. But how can I do this when I know It is evil in the sight of God. So I'm to follow Him. I'm to, as the writer of Hebrews says, fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. Fix your eyes upon Him. So often we fix our eyes upon other people and what they think. But we need to follow the Lord. Secondly, we need to fear Him. To fear Him. If if following the Lord means my eyes are fixed on Him, to fear God means I know His eyes are fixed on me. His eyes are fixed on me. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13 says, this is at the very end of the book, The conclusion, when all has been said, is fear God, keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. Fear God. To to live under the majestic, glorious, almighty God and His eyesight in everything that I do. Remember, in Psalm 34, it's a psalm of David. And David has come back to his senses after, we might say, falling away from God and fearing man more than he feared God. But it is in that 
psalm that he says, Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And then he goes on to say in Psalm 34 these words, Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. I mean, it's almost as though David is saying, Listen, I knew a period in my life when I feared man and what man could do to me more than I feared God. And I was more concerned about what man saw than I was what God saw. But, but that was wrong. And, and then we have this, this tone of passion and excitement. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. Fear Him. Thomas Watson says the fear of the Lord, this is a reverencing and adoring God's holiness and setting ourselves always Under his sacred inspection. To fear God means I set myself always under God's gaze. His inspection. John Murray says, and I've read this to you before, and I think it's a great quote. I have to remind myself of it often. It says, the first thought of a godly man in every circumstance is God's relation to him And to the circumstance. And his and the circumstance relationship to God. So wherever I find myself, I need to be asking about what this means to me and my relationship to God. How is this circumstance either going to move me away from or draw me nearer to God? Every circumstance. Mr. Murray goes on to say, that is a God consciousness, and that is what the fear of God entails. So the fear of God is to live my life recognizing that there's one true and living God whose inspection I am constantly under, whose ears are constantly hearing all that I say and will one day judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. That's the fear of God. I am convinced, maybe not, if there was a greater fear of God, a pastor's life would be so much easier. If people would live their lives knowing they're always under God's inspection. The things that come out of your mouth, God always hears. The things that you do, God always sees. And even the things that we think, God even knows. I was talking to a friend of mine. And he said to me something like this. He said, Calvin, God is going to have some special rewards for you one day because of all you're doing. And I said to him, there's only one problem with that. God not only sees what I'm doing, but he knows what I'm thinking while I'm doing it. 
So that might wipe out some of those rewards. <laughs> because sometimes we can do things and all the time be thinking, oh, I wish this wasn't going on. And that's the reality. God knows what I do, what I say, what I think. I live always under His inspection. You know, we read in the Bible, and when I was little, we'd read this, that Enoch walked with God. And what picture comes to your mind? You know, I imagine this guy walking hand in hand, holding holding God's hand, and just walking along. But what it means is, is that Enoch was a man who walked every day knowing he was under God's inspection. He walked with God every day. Walked with God every day. And sometimes people say, well, you know, if the pastor could live at our house, things would be so much different if he could just see things. But there's one greater than pastor. Almighty God is there already. We need to live recognizing He sees all things. So we're to live in the fear. If we want to maintain a good relationship with God and not be carried off from the place of safety, we need to fear God. Thirdly, we need to keep His commandments. I put these two together. Keep His commandments and listen to His voice. God speaks to His children. His sheep hear His voice. We have the same thing. Let me get some of you awake by opening your book. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And and we see that Moses is stating the very same thing earlier in his message to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 4 verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord your God, the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Listen to what I'm telling you. Why? So you can store up knowledge? No. So that you can live. So that you can do. The instruction that Moses gives in Deuteronomy 4 is the same instruction he gives in Deuteronomy 13 It is very simple. Listen and do. Listen and do. J.C. Ryle says, The Word of God must be received in our hearts and become the mainspring of our conduct. The Word of God must live in our hearts and become the mainspring of our conduct. It must produce practical impressions on our inner man that shall appear in our outward behavior. The Word of God was not given to us just to store up knowledge. The Word of God was given to us to affect how we live every day. They were to be obedient. That's the point. They were to be obedient. They weren't just to know, but they were to live And the idea of listen is more than just, you know, there's no doubt that everyone sitting here has their ears vibrating with my voice. So if I say to you, are you listening? Most of you on the way out would say, yeah, I'm listened. But then if I said, what did I say? You may say, oh, 
I didn't know you were going to ask that. I heard your voice. It's like children at home. Did you hear me? Yes. Why didn't you do it? Uh, I don't know. I guess I wasn't listening. I thought you said you heard me. I heard you, but I, I wasn't listening. And here Moses says, I want you to listen and I want you to obey. I want you to do. All right. The psalmist says in Psalm 119 and verse 32, I will run. You get that picture? I will run in the way of your commandments. I'll run there. And so we have here the third of instructions on keeping and maintaining a good relationship to God. And that is that we will obey and listen to what he has to say. And may I say this? This is not legalism. To say you need to be obedient to God is not legalism. You know, how many times has Moses told the people, do what I say that it will be well with you. How many times do you hear Moses say, do what I say so that you can be miserable people in the land of promise. Do what I say so that you can have this heavy burden of legalism on your back. No, I want you to enjoy life. I want you to live life. Now do what you're instructed to do. Well, two more, more briefly. We're to serve him. We're to serve him. If you're going to serve somebody, it means you recognize them as your master and your Lord. I read this. I thought it was quite interesting. Most people wish to serve God, but in an advisory capacity only. They, they wish to serve God, but in an advisory capacity only. We need to recognize that God is my master. He is my Lord. And to serve Him means I'm not working to advance my own name. I'm not working to advance my own plans, my own ideas. It means I am laboring to advance Him. To advance Him. Again, J.C. Ryle says, The world's idea of greatness is to rule. But Christians' greatness consists in serving. Consists in serving the Master. So we're to serve Him. And then finally, we are to cleave to Him. To cleave to Him. When you hear that, we are to cleave to Him. What do you think of? What does that language stir up in your mind? Well, for many, I trust it's the idea of marriage. To cleave. When you hear that, you think of marriage because a man is to leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. They're, they're to be joined together. They're to be cemented. They're to be glued together as husband and wife. It's a term of love and affection. We, we could say of, of the man concerning the wife that I cherish. She's my treasure. I'm going to cleave to her. Well, that's the term, and it's the same term used here. We're to cleave to God. 
cling to God. We're to cling to Jehovah. We're to lay hold of Him. And we're to lay hold of Him so tightly that nothing else can come between me and my God. Nothing else slips in there. Or or we could use the analogy that, that we need to lay hold of God. We need to lay hold of God and hold Him so tightly that nothing else can be placed in our hands. To, to, by God's grace, to be determined to live in that way. So, so here are these five steps or, or five words of instruction with regard to how you maintain a good relationship to God. Five words of instruction that if followed, you will not be enticed to follow after other gods. You are to follow the Lord your God. You're to fear Him. You're to keep His commandments and listen to His voice. You're to serve Him. You're to cling to Him. These things. And so some of us may wonder, why is it? Why is it that like the hymn writer, I can say, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Why is it those seasons that we, we have to confess that, you know, sometimes I'm hanging by a thread and I feel like I may let go and fall away from God? Why is it? And this, this is my own confession, whether it's yours or not, I don't know. But, but why is it there's been those occasions when I thought it would just be easier to walk away? fall away. It's so much easier at times just to be a hypocrite and to pretend to be something I'm not. And go after other gods of pleasure, materialism, family, work. And many times we find ourselves in that position and all too often because the heart is so easily deceived. But it's because we've not been following and fearing and obeying and listening and serving and clinging to Him as we ought. Well, may God help us. May God help us to take heed and by His grace, press on. Press on. He will never let us go. But we have a responsibility. And it's not... I said this morning, it is not my purpose to have some of you walk out of here with sensitive consciences. Well, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe. No, no. My hope is that you'll take these things and use them to all the more stand firmly in Christ to press on, knowing He'll never let me go. Why have I not fallen completely away? Why have I not walked away completely? Because there's been times it's been close. It's because of God's grace and the work of His Son. And how thankful I am for that. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we pray that You would ever be working in our hearts and lives through Your Spirit. We read passages of Scripture where we're 
warned to take heed lest we fall away. We think of that passage that reminds us of the man who tasted of the things of God, enjoyed the things of God, and yet he fell away. We think of that seed that fell on hard ground or stony ground, and it fell away. And Father, we confess that apart from your grace, we would fall away. Father, we pray that you'll continue to be working in our hearts, giving us the desire to just have a living, intimate, enjoyable relationship with our God. And where that is not there, Father, may we have dealings with you even this day. May you help us to follow, to fear, to listen, to obey, to serve, to cling to the true and living God. For these things we do ask in Christ's name. Amen. 706 in the Trinity Hymn Book in closing. 706. Take time to be holy. Speak off with thy Lord. 706. I stand as we stand.